I think the one prediction, and I'm careful not to share it too widely, but I'm starting to hear and see evidence where organizations are hiring an ecosystem chief. This is not the channel chief who kind of owns that transactional mode today and, and the sales number. This is going outside. We first saw that with IBM. Instead of giving the billion dollars of ecosystem investment the new CEO came in with, didn't give that money to the head of channels and, and the head of partner world. They hired a new ecosystem chief. Welcome to the ultimate guide to partnering. In this podcast, Vince Mincione, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Mincione. Welcome to, or welcome back to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering, where technology leaders come to optimize results through successful partnering. I'm Vince Menzion, your host, and my mission is to help leaders like you unlock the leadership principles and learnings of the best in the business to get partnerships right, optimize for success, and deliver your greatest results. Welcome to 2022. As we approach the second anniversary of the lockdown, and continue to see our way of life evolving and transforming through technology. I was delighted to welcome back to Ultimate Guide to Partnering, another fan favorite, my friend and neighbor in South Florida, Jay McBain, the principal analyst for Channels, Partners, and Ecosystems at Forrester. Jay has coined this as the decade of the ecosystem, where ecosystems and the technology that supports partnering take center stage in business transformation. Jay joins us for a thought-provoking conversation on the trends we're seeing in this tech sector and how all of us, as partners and business leaders, need to optimize for success during this time of continued and rapid transformation. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed welcoming back for the fourth time, Jay McBain. Before we dive into the interview, I'm happy to announce that PartnerTap has become a founding sponsor of Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I've been friends with the founders of PartnerTap for many years, and PartnerTap is the only partner ecosystem platform designed for the enterprise. Their technology makes it easy to align channel teams with automated account mapping, letting you control what data you share while building a partner revenue engine. I'm so excited to have them on board. Be on the lookout for events, content, and more. And I'm so excited to continue working together in our exciting year ahead. Jay, welcome back to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me back. I am so excited to welcome you back. The last time you were out, we were talking about SNL. And uh, you had now set the new world record for Ultimate Guide to Partnering. This is your fourth visit to Ultimate Guide to Partnering in under two years, by the way. So I'm excited to have you back again. We're kicking off 2022. I can't believe it. This is a great time for us to talk about how to optimize for success in 2022. So welcome. Absolutely. This is, uh, I, I can't believe, it. I, I think 2021 was just getting its start and all of a sudden, it was June, and then it was September, and then there was five days till Christmas. Uh, wow, did that go qu quick? Yeah, it blurred for me from July first on. It just—it's like one big blur from July now through till this new year. 
So you are one of the top influencers around partners and ecosystems. You're the principal analyst for Forrester for channels, partners and ecosystems. Can you explain your role and whom you work with? Yeah, absolutely. So I work for Forrester, one of the biggest uh, research firms. I wake up every morning thinking about the channel from from different angles and, and try to count things and spend time counting things that other people may not get the time to do or connect dots that maybe other people don't get the time or, or chance to do. And it's uh, spend time talking about it and try to look forward a little bit in our industry, not only into 2022, but look forward into the next decade and, and see what it's shaping up to be. And it is shaping up to be quite a decade. We're going we're gonna to dig in on that a little bit here today, which I'm excited about. And it's 2022. This morning, we were talking about Omicron. We're, we're not quite fully out of this thing yet. You and I both had a chance to be out and in person. We were both at Robert DeMarzo's Channel Partners Conference just, just a couple of months ago. How did it feel to be out and, and in person again? Felt pretty strange. So for me, I've done a couple of local events in Florida that I could drive to. Then I flew over to Dallas and did a smaller room at a partner of less than 100 people. But getting on stage in front of 5,000 people with the proper AV and the proper audio link-ups and everything else, the 200-foot screens behind you, that felt weird after two years. My knees were a little wobbly the first time I stood up there. It's, it's funny when you're, you're behind your computer screen versus being out there in the wild, as you say, with 5,000 people, you had quite an audience for your session. Yeah, you have to go back to remembering everyone in their underwear again and not be nervous. So I loved your talk. And it's out on LinkedIn. We're going to provide a link to this uh, in our show notes. And you discussed the top 10 trends impacting our industry. It was a great talk, by the way. I think it's, it's a primer for anybody in this business to listen to. You did a countdown, which I loved. The David Letterman top, top 10 list. Yeah. Yes. And we're not going to drain the list here, but you talked about the 10 tech buying is changing, end of the cookie, the Accenture study you and I talk about quite a bit, the shift to subscription, white label replacing the SKU. You spent a fair amount of time on marketplaces, distribution, distribution disruption, the great resignation, ecosystem orchestrator. So fascinating set of topics. And I know you've touched on some of these in other interviews. But it was interesting to me, first of all, that Marketplaces gets two mentions on the list. I think that's a big shift, don't you? Well, it absolutely is. I think the biggest change happening in our industry now in, in the last 40 years is really the change in the movement of money. Our, our channel, the word channel, has been synonymous with really the point of sale, the point of transaction, and those transactional partners that wrap around that moment. And going forward, Looking at all of the buyer research we do, looking at the actual marketplaces themselves, which grew more in the first three months of the pandemic than the last 10 years combined, and thinking about a world where our industry is doubling this decade, and one third of that $7 trillion that businesses and governments will spend on technology, hardware, software, and services, will go through marketplaces. And there's just so many reasons from so many different angles why that will be the case that we have to start thinking differently as channel leaders and looking at it for most of that case, 80% of it at least will be indirect sales. It will be selling through someone else's marketplace and what that means for us. And it ties back to the evolution of buying behaviors, right? You've talked about this as well. And 
We can think about what we all do today that's so much different than what we did five years ago with how we actually purchase things. Yeah, absolutely. And one third of the US economy today is going via marketplace. So this isn't strange for anyone as consumers. And for all the research we did last year on the future of buying, the future buyer of technology looks a lot like a consumer. So why we'd want to finish that digital journey, that 28 moments in a highly considered purchase, whether you're buying a car, a mattress, a piece of software, why would want to you know, end that digital or digital only journey with a physical transaction doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people anymore. And when you overlay demographics and when you overlay a lot of the shifts that are happening, this is just one of those almost slam dunk predictions that just make a lot of sense to a lot of us. When you look at, and I do a lot of work with organizations working, I spend a lot of time in the Microsoft ecosystem and the tools and the process that's involved for two organizations to come together and sell something is so arduous today to, to the point like it's, it's a digital experience. It's influenced by a set of influencers. And then when it comes down to the transaction, there's like, okay, here's the quote, here's the paperwork, here's the contract, here's all these other things that have to happen. And then I'm going to send you a spreadsheet and then you're going to validate it on your side. And then, and then hopefully we're going to come together and, and check the box and say, yeah, we did a deal together. And marketplaces, they take away all of that process. Well, they do. And, th and then there's advantages on top of that. So first of all, in Microsoft's world, you look at Dynamics or you look at Azure, and on average, in a multi-cloud world now, the average solution, the average customer purchase will be seven different layers. So it'll have Microsoft technology there, but there'll be six other companies, maybe securing it, making it compliant, adding continuity, data, automation, all the way down the line around that paving that last mile. So w when you're buying seven things from seven different people, and to send someone off to go and meet those seven vendors and get the special pricing necessary and the contracting, get that on a sing single bill. I mean, that would take months and months. And then all of a sudden you have to provision and procure one more user and you rinse and repeat all that. I think most of us understand now that subscriptions or consumption, any kind of usage-based or value-based pricing, it makes sense that we don't buy Netflix from our cable guy in the white van. We buy Netflix through a digital subscription. And every month when we get charged the $12, we have to ask ourselves, did I adopt that technology? Did I watch Netflix? Of course we did. Is it integrated or sticky? Is it habitual in the consumer sense? Well, absolutely. It's a part of our daily lives inside a pandemic. Then you think the upsell, the cross-sell, the enrichment. So you start thinking about this, but the actual subscription itself, the movement of money, that 12 bucks a month, you kind of set it and forget it. And then everything else climbs on top of that. So even Microsoft has got really good this year talking about what that extra is. And right up to the CEO talking about trillions of dollars of ecosystem opportunity, partner opportunity, it gets generated upwards of $10 for every dollar of Microsoft gets generated for ISVs and system integrators and consultants and MSPs and VARs and 16 different kinds of partners that Microsoft is recruiting almost 400 of per day. What I find striking too is the scale issue. I think marketplaces also solve for the scale issue of the promise of co-selling, especially in Microsoft has this promise out there, sort of the intended promise that we'll go co-sell with you. Well, as you mentioned, all these partners are coming to the dance, hoping to co-sell with a very finite number of salespeople that are touching customers. 
it's almost analogous to what you said earlier about the cable guy selling you Netflix. It's just not feasible. Yeah, absolutely. And I set out this year to count how many permutations that, for example, a Microsoft would have in terms of that last mile, how many customer you know, specific situations they would be in. Uh, the number came back as 35 million. When you take, for example, in Microsoft SaaS business, software as a service, there are uh, 65% of those sales now go outside of IT. So in many companies, the head of marketing spends more money on SaaS, on technology itself than the head of technology. When you look at all of the 297 sub-industries that Microsoft's selling into, the 197 countries, the sector, segment, and size, looking at the 250 product areas, and then thinking about delivery. Does this all happen as a project? Does this happen as managed services? Does this happen? So does this be embedded, white-labeled? I mean, all the different kinds of motions. And then you've got this explosion of product-led growth. Competitors of Microsoft, like Zoom, who went from almost nothing to now a household name like Xerox or Clean in terms of how we conduct meetings in about 18 months. So we're watching all over the place these changes take place. And I think Microsoft has done a little bit of marketing sleight of hand where they always talked about north of 90% of their business was partner sourced, went through the channel. Now they're talking about 96% of their business partner assisted which is taking the heat off the transaction. Because maybe Azure, for example, has about 30% partner source. And you see this rise of marketplaces, rise of more direct business, which Microsoft got hit in a couple of magazines about that business being had. And so the flow of money, Microsoft has successfully disconnected the channel and the value the channel brings Microsoft from the actual flow of money and letting the customer decide what's best for them. Because you use the term ecosystem orchestrator, becoming the new trusted advisor. And I want to peel back on that from what that means from your perspective. But I could almost, when you talk about Microsoft, and I think about what they're doing with industry clouds, so that healthcare clinic upstate New York that you always refer to, they're going to look and say, who are the partners? Who are the t- what are the technology solution sets that are going to be valid for me as that, that clinic? What do you think about that? How do you think about ecosystem orchestrator? What, what did you mean by that, I guess? Yeah, the word orchestration is, is interesting when you think of going to a symphony, for example, and, and all the, the music and all the different uh, instruments and, and people and, and things like that. But one thing we do know from our research is this over 20 years, we've been all battling to be that trusted advisor, that single throat to choke. And that's what managed services and other industries have been chasing after. Well, based today on those early, for example, 28 moments into the point of transaction, into those every 30 days forever, now that everybody is subscription, we know that there's on average five different partners that are adding significant value to the customer. And that's growing in number. So it's not only orchestrating maybe who those five partners and the value they're providing. Remember when I said Microsoft, five to $10 for every dollar sold, there's a lot of activity happening there. But on top of that, there's a million software companies, I believe, by the end of the decade. Today, there's 175,000. Today, we're watching 800,000 emerging tech companies, IoT and AI and automation and blockchain and quantum, 5G, AR, VR, whichever way you're looking. That future tech, by the way, is today's tech. And so if you have millions of those companies, millions of software companies, obviously millions of partners as everyone is coming in, 
and 35 million customers. I mean, you're at a point where you've reached an error on your calculator trying to multiply all this together. This point of orchestration, and it's hyper-local. It, it's distributed in, in terms of orchestration because that mid-sized clinic in upstate New York, that orchestration is probably going to happen in Buffalo, in Syracuse, Rochester, or Albany. It's not going to be Microsoft orchestrating anything from the Northwest. It's going to be on the ground. It's going to be those five partners, and it could be a system integrator. There's obviously some ISVs at the table. There's an MSP. There's a VAR. There's maybe a marketing agency, an accountant. So we could count up all these plus the emerging tech and everything else. And the orchestration role, I think, will be a very profitable one and a very important one to the customer trying to pull all this together inside of perhaps a marketplace. So is there an evolution today from what might have been an MSP or a systems integrator to this ecosystem orchestrator? Not yet. And I think everyone's still trying to figure out their role. What I'm talking about here is relatively new. When, when the CEO of Microsoft gets out in magazines and starts talking about unlocking trillions of dollars of economic value or ecosystem value, most companies, and I would say 99% of the people I get to talk to, haven't dissected that or, or reversed engineered that number. They, they don't look at the $100,000 of Microsoft that that customer is buying or Salesforce or NetSuite or ServiceNow or Workday or AWS or Google. I mean, it list down hundreds of, but they haven't gone back and looked at that pie chart and said, here are my skills. Here's my repeatable practices. And uh, maybe the companies that are doing it the best are today the system integrators. I, I know that today Accenture makes a business acquisition every seven business hours. The majority of those acquisitions this year have been digital agencies. Why? Because the head of marketing, in many cases, spends more on tech than the head of tech. So they're maybe doing a better job at looking at their M&A as a heat map of 35 million customer conversations and last mile solutions. In other words, building out the skill, talent, practices to go earn more of that Microsoft multiplier. So if, if that customer, for example, that mid-sized clinic spends $100,000 with Microsoft, Accenture is trying to get in there and charge $200,000 to get it all to work, figuring out how they can get to three hundred dollars and then $400,000. That business today is at 75% margins. Accenture never wanted to resell. That's not their business model. They want to stay unbiased. They want to, they want to stay neutral, but they understand that they're not going to be competing after 20% front-end margin and a couple of percent back-end margin. They want to go win two, three, four times the deal at 75% margins. And that's how they're going to build out their company. And that's how MSPs and, and others in this industry should start looking at this today in terms of orchestration. Mid-sized accounting firms, the digital organizations, digital, digital agencies. So a lot to unpack here. It's an exciting time. You also talked about the great resignation. Well, you didn't call it the great resignation, but you talked about the fact that 72% in IT are thinking of quitting, this whole workplace trend. And I had Dr. Michael Gervais on the podcast recently. He's a high-performance coach by training and trade, and he works with Olympic athletes, high-performance individuals. He's worked with Satya Nadella and his leadership team. And we talked about this whole topic of mindfulness and the workplace and the importance of empathy in organizations. What do you see the trend? We talked about how our work environment is changing and how people are just thinking differently. Yeah. I mean, we're at an intersection of interesting times. I mean, the future of work 
for at least 30% of people think about work as what they do, not where they go. On top of that, the opportunities, I mean, there are millions of jobs open. Right now, it is a seller's market. So you can kind of decide what you want to do and who you want to do it with and for, whether you want to do it for one or, or be more of a gig economy or, or work for yourself. And there's just so many options today. The one adage that I don't think has ever changed in decades upon decades in our industry is 80% of people quit because of their boss. And when you talk to a professional like that, they understand the, the hard skills, the soft skills and everything else, how to be a great leader. People work for great companies and according to Glassdoor and according to other things here, the number one company in the world. And then you're wondering like, how could you possibly be quitting? And then you hear the story about their boss. And, and that's what all companies have to realize that you can go win every award on the planet and you can go and you know, hit home runs. But if, if you're not watching your internal surveys, if you're not taking the internal sentiment, if you're not um, doing the 360 degree feedback and, and taking it seriously, you know, whether it's you know, the empathetic leadership, sympathetic leadership, given where people's mental health is today, and uh, all these different types of things, you'll find that this great resignation, which won't be 72% of people, but it might be twice as large as you would have expected to be. And, and that could be impactful on your business. I talk about the factors that impact partnerships. And I talk about culture and mindset at the very beginning of the conversation. I believe it's true in organizations, whether it be partnering or just sustainment of the business function. Yeah. It's one of those things that I get to look at it. In the tech industry, we look at about 35,000 companies now that have channel programs. And I, I get to sense when I talk to channel leaders and non-channel leaders, I get to talk to CMOs, I get to talk to CEOs, I get to talk to a lot of boards, private equity companies today. I get a sense of culture and DNA. And, and Microsoft, and I work for, with Microsoft, I work for IBM and Lenovo, two strong partners of Microsoft. For, but in the last three decades, I've worked with Microsoft. I can tell right from the the mailroom to the CEO, that it's just in the DNA. It's part of the culture. Like that five partners I, I talked about, it doesn't matter where you are in that organization. You just assume that every customer you're talking with or every interface you're having, there's going to be five people in that virtual room or physical room. And, and that's how you proceed where there's just so many companies today that are still thinking about channels as a franchise model. And like McDonald's trying to sell more burgers or, or selling more cups of coffee or donuts by putting a restaurant on every street corner, that that's synonymous with point of transaction as, as a channel. They're not far enough along in, in their culture. The one biggest change now is at Forrester, we would help people when that point of franchise is. You've got product fit, you've got a sales and marketing engine that's repeatable and scalable. Now it's time to start putting locations around the world. Well, ecosystems start at day one. There, there are companies now, and that was one of the big things we talk about in the countdown. Before the pandemic, it was 76% of CEOs think their business model will be unrecognizable in five years. And ecosystems are the number one reason why. So whether you sell pharmaceuticals, you sell cars, you sell insurance, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you can't do it alone in this decade of the ecosystem. And it's alliances it's DevOps and builder type of partnerships, co-innovation, value creation, network effects, but it's these partnerships in that early customer journey, in those 28 moments when 
cookies are going away. At that point of transaction, when a third of it goes through marketplaces, a third of it goes direct, a third of it goes indirect. And then as every company is transitioning into subscription consumption models, it's every 30 days forever. Those five channels, four of them are non-transactional and it can't be synonymous with a franchise model anymore. It's got to be started right in your business plan from the time you raise your first seed fund. This has to be inside your business plan. Doesn't matter what industry, doesn't matter what kind of company or what size of company you're in. It's just part of the fabric of what you do. You are so on point and I am so in agreement with you here. In fact, I know you spent some time with Alan Adler just recently, and he did a great piece on embedding partner ecosystem capabilities into the core business. And I think you were referencing that, like the the difference between a Microsoft and maybe some of these others that treat it like a franchise. I find that this is where partnerships break down when they try to treat it like a franchise. Yeah. And we had a big battle and it was waged as a boxing match, not because we don't violently agree on the power of ecosystems. He takes a a hard slant at this value creation, this co-innovation, this huge opportunity that ecosystems present your company to kind of rethink the future and everything. And I, again, totally agree with that. But I think a lot of ecosystem people that come in a little bit from the outside, and as as we introduce the channel, the channel historically, this 40 years of, of the technology channel is a key part of the ecosystem. They may be transactional today because that's how we've measured them. We don't know yet how much work they did in those early moments to get that customer to the dance. And when a subscription model, especially those companies like Salesforce, for example, have been selling subscription for over 20 years, the value of the channel of keeping that customer dancing all night long, we're starting to build the attribution technologies today, the data sharing technologies. So in this early decade of the ecosystem, we finally have the tools at our disposal to actually show what those transactional partners can do in those other five areas. And uh, many companies are surprised because the only way we've ever been able to measure them, if you can recognize partners for actually the value throughout the entire customer journey, and you're not measuring a fish by their ability to climb a tree, this will change everything. So there is a transactional element of ecosystem. There's a non-transactional element. And when you marry up all these five you know, major components, that's when you start having this broader conversation. I'm glad you touched on that because the tech stack, right? And you talk about the tech stack. We talk about the evolution, the decade of the ecosystem, the 183 technology companies today. And you use the analogy of the last decade being the decade of marketing and marketing automation. The marketing tech stack is now 8,000 companies. It seems to me this attribution piece is one we still need to solve for. We're not completely there. I know intuitively, having been a GM and channel chief at Microsoft, that it was hard to discern where the influence happened. I had systems integrators that were going in influencing the sale. I had transactional partners, like some of the large-scale partners that we all know, that were actually take the transaction from the customer, maybe didn't influence the decision process, right? How do we get there? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing is it's not as precise. When a partner sells something, you get the distributor sales out numbers, you get the actual piece of data you need to connect the dots when you do your incentives payouts and market development funds and everything else. At the best of time, attribution is not an exact science. It's part art, part science. And this idea that if I'm going to give, and it started really in the consumer world, 
if I'm going to give Kim Kardashian a million dollars to do an Instagram ad, I kind of want to show the company that not direct return on an investment, but if I can show them that, hey, our revenue raised and this much is attributable and hey, we made 3 million on that 1 million investment, let's do it. That's what we're doing. We're not going to be able to measure all 28 moments. When your customer, end customer goes and reads a blog or listens to a podcast like this one, when they go and go to an event, when they join an association, I mean, all those 28 moments are somewhat random across 35 million different customers. But if you could start measuring more of them and sharing data with the owners of those moments, especially in a post-cookie world, now you're going to be able to go into your executive team and your board with a more detailed view of that customer from the very early moment they had a problem to the point of vendor selection through the point of transaction, whichever one third way they go. And then every 30 days forever, your product's going to report adoption and integration, stickiness and stuff. So how to put all that together is the future skill set of the channel chief. And, and we got to get there quickly because these decades accelerate fast. And uh, the technology will come fast and furious. And by the end of the decade, there will probably be 8,000 companies on this tech stack. And right now we have the first few hundred that we have to be looking at, looking at their roadmaps, but looking at the billion dollars that private equity has put into this tech stack in 2021 and, and where that use of funds is going to be and the engineering and the roadmaps. This is going to be a lot of fun in the next 12 to 18 months. And you sit in the enviable seat of getting to talk to and look at all these tech stacks. And maybe you get a little peek at their future roadmap. Are you insinuating that that's where we go with this? And the pieces that are missing, the gaps that are missing get solved for at the 28 moments. Yeah. So the best way to predict the future, here's this big secret, is there's 35,000 companies buying into this tech stack. And there's 35,000 companies pushing these hundreds of companies to build for the future. So if you want to know what Microsoft is thinking for 2022, 2023, Go look at the companies that they employ to build that future and go study what they have, what, how they're pushing those companies to innovate. And then there's your near-term future, but it also points to the longer-term approach of how a Microsoft, not only do they have 470,000 partners today, but those new three to 400 that join every day, you, you have a real good example of how they're going to measure them, how they're going to build out the data how they're going to build that attribution and, and sharing and, and how they're going to recognize every single partner for the value they create as opposed to what they sell. It's exciting times. I can't wait to see the next couple of years of this decade of the ecosystems looks like. So we're entering maybe the second or third inning, 2022. How did the channel leaders listening to this podcast, how did they evolve their thinking? And what would be the one, two or three suggestions you would have for them to think or do differently this year? Yeah, my first suggestion is always to get closer to the customer. Everything I mentioned today, every one of these 10 trends, they have to do with the end customer. How they conduct themselves in those early 28 moments, this is all a channel play. And you need to get closer to the owners of those moments and the connectors and the influencers in those moments, and they need to become partners of yours. You need to get closer to those adjacent to you that are also innovating, perhaps to the same buyer. You have to get closer to those that are with your customer every 30 days forever. I will say every business, and we saw just in this last year, from Cisco to IBM to Dell to HP to Lenovo, all the way down the list, every client server era company has gone all in subscription. And that means they're going to be measured more like Netflix, where 
they'll, they'll be asked by the street, not how much revenue and not how much profit and what their net promoter score is. You're going to be asked how many subscribers, how many new subscribers, new logos did you get this quarter, and what's your churn rate? And in that circumstance, when you get closer to the buyer and start looking at those type of measurements, you're going to see your channel much differently. You, you begin and end with your customer. One thing you can take note of in the last two decades, the decade of sales starting in 99, the decade of marketing starting in 09, is the technology underneath it. We've been running off spreadsheets. We've been kind of running with our gut. That's what people did in sales in 1999. Two years later, they were running to the seventh decimal point. They were running marketing. 50% of your dollars were wasted. You didn't know which 50% in 2009. Well, a couple of years later, you couldn't get a job in marketing without deep MarTech, ad tech skills. And you can bet that a couple of years from now, you won't be able to get a job in the channel at a senior level without deep channel tech, ecosystem tech type of skills. So I would be doubling down on understanding these companies and, and what they're building around this area. The third thing is the community. There are so many things. I, I mentioned the million of this and the million of that and the 35 million of this, that you're going to be against well-funded competitors. It's not going to be a Super Bowl ad that wins the day. It's not going to be darkening the sky with planes, given this pandemic it has no end in, in sight. It's a different future of work. It's the grassroots companies, what your customer reads, where they go, who they follow, the partners that wrap around all of those things and engaging at those levels, in those watering holes, in those social networks, in those associations, in those magazines, in those 150 events, in all of these. There's these 14 spheres of influence that I wake up every day trying to map and, and publish and how the best vendors start at the community management level and work upwards. Yeah, so important. Such great advice for our channel chief listeners. So I'm going to put you on the spot though. You made some predictions when we were at the event together. What is one prediction that we haven't heard yet from you for optimizing for success this coming year? I think the one prediction, and I'm careful not to share it too widely, but I'm starting to hear and see evidence where organizations are hiring an ecosystem chief. And this is not the channel chief who kind of owns that transactional mode today and, and the sales number. This is going outside. We first saw that with IBM, where instead of giving the billion dollars of ecosystem investment the new CEO came in with, didn't give that money to the head of channels and, and the head of partner world. They hired a new ecosystem chief. We saw that at Sage Software. I'm seeing that in multiple places now where the roll-up of alliances and channels and all these five things we talked about may go to a different kind of executive with some more marketing skills, some more alliance at scale type of skills than pure sales, transactional make the week, make the month, make the quarter, see a bear, shoot a bear type of skills. And I wasn't ready to predict that, but I'm seeing a lot of action and I get a lot of questions at Forrester on the, on the right way forward. Are channel chiefs going to be the ones that can run a five-part channel? Very insightful. Thank you for sharing that, Jay. And I want to thank you again. It is so great to have you back. The next one, I think we're going to, I think we're going to videotape this one like live and in person, maybe Maybe down in Boynton Beach or somewhere near there. How's that sound? We can get on the boat, do it live right on the water. I love it. I love it. Jay, thank you so much for joining. Always great to have you here at Ultimate Guide to Partnering and wishing you and yours all the best 
in 2022. Thank you. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at vincem at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by PartnerTap, the partner ecosystem platform most trusted by enterprise. Drive more revenue with your partners and learn more at partnertap.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.